Hello, everybody. We've made it through the Oscars, and you guys saw my Oscar, listened to my Oscar reactions, and now we get to what is ultimately more important to me, and maybe more important to you guys uh, as the audience, which is what were my top 10 favorite movies of 2019? Is your is my own personal opinion of the movies that I enjoyed the most this year. This has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. Um, although I would like to think that a lot of the movies that I enjoy are high quality. Quality is not mattering here. It is just based purely on how much I enjoy these films. Uh, whether or not it has nothing to do with whether or not I rated them higher or lower or whatever. These are just the movies that I had the most fun watching. Now, a lot of them, honestly, I've changed this list up a bunch of times, and honestly, it could change up tomorrow. But as of right now, this is how I'm feeling about my favorite movies of 2019. So, without further ado, let's kick it off. Number 10, Parasite, the Best Picture winner of the Oscars. Um, I really enjoyed Parasite when I saw it in the movies. I just remember being constantly just thrown for a loop every time I was watching the movie. It felt like it was a different... It, the movie always kept you on your toes because it felt like it was a different type of movie like every 20 minutes or so, but not in a bad way, which is important because a movie... That tries, because a lot of times that's a, that's a criticism that's levied against a lot of movies, is that, oh my goodness, there is so much, this feels like two, this feels like two or three different movies going on in the same movie. But a lot of time that's a criticism because it's not purposeful within the movie. You watch a movie and then when something like that happens, you go, I don't think that was supposed to be like that. And you can tell that what happened was that maybe the director or the writers kind of, you know, they kind of fell by the wayside a little bit and started feeling a different way in the middle of making their movie and kind of, you know, tried to steer the movie in a different direction during the editing process, where in this movie it was very intentional, and I really, really loved it. And I love the acting, too. Like, my goodness, the acting in this is great, especially by the man who plays the father. And Bong Joon-ho's direction and the cinematography of this movie are just amazing and so is the editing and it's just so crisp and clean looking and i loved one of the things i love the most about parasite not just the fact that i was able to enjoy it so much because it is a very enjoyable movie that keeps you on your toes even though i do think that the epilogue of the film drags a little bit um the fact that the movie that the fact that the movie has such a nuanced stance on class and that was one of my big things because a lot because I would have found myself supremely annoyed with this movie if it tried to go for like a very simplistic, not honest look at class and class relations and things like that. But this movie decides it decides to be really honest about it, and it decides ultimately to make what is I think one of the most skillful skillfully written scripts of the year, and I really enjoyed it. Parasite. I give this movie a nine out of ten. Next, we have Jojo Rabbit at number nine. This movie I saw 
It was the after the Oscar nominations. It was the last movie I hadn't seen um, prior to the Oscar nominations being released. I'd seen all the other eight Best Picture nominees, and then there was Jojo Rabbit. And let me tell you, this movie was a hoot. It was a pleasant surprise. Roman Griffin Davis, a ama- Sorry, guys, I got like a phone call in the middle of that. Anyway, Roman Griffin Davis, amazing performance by him. Just absolutely amazing. I fell just so in love with it. I thought it was really, really great. I thought it was a really strong performance. Um, And Taika Waititi's Adolf Hitler was not only funny and charming, weirdly enough, but when it came to the more deplorable parts of Hitler and who he was and, you know, because this movie takes place towards the end of the war, it's interesting to see how smartly it's played, right? Because in the movie, yes, you do end up sympathizing with these people who are Nazi sympathizers. But it's a lot more complicated than that because a lot of times, and we have a history of doing this, which is like there's always a conversation of should you humanize the bad guy, right? Especially when what they did was so bad. But I think that's... I think maybe it's good to have that discussion, but I feel like a discussion like that that doesn't end in, yes, we should humanize them because they are people, even though they've done a bad thing, um, is something that there's a nuance missing to a lot of that conversation in the mainstream that happens. And I love the fact that this movie was able to kind of have the balls to do that and be like, yeah, no, you're going to watch these people, you're going to get to know them, and yeah, you might feel bad when some of them die even though they're Nazis, because they're people just like you and me. And yeah, maybe they were caught up in something. And yeah, they were caught up in something atrocious, and that doesn't make what they did any less excusable. But it does mean something to know that they were people as well, because this isn't black and white. This is very complicated. We are dealing with real people here. So I love that. And the movie was supremely funny. I loved a lot of the jokes in it. I thought they were really smart. I thought that... One of the most brilliant things about this movie is that it almost desensitizes you to the um, to like the character's pro Hitlerness, right? To the point where like it's just another thing, and that's kind of just what it was in Germany at the time—just another thing. And the movie very smartly does that, and I just I thought that was really great. I thought it was funny when it came towards the end. I remember finding myself really emotional. Um, especially with a scene involving um, Scarlett Johansson's shoes, which anybody who saw that movie knows what I'm talking about. Um, Jojo Rabbit, just a very great, strong movie by Taika Waititi, one of the smartest scripts I've ever um, watched kind of play out on the screen. And uh, I can't wait to see what Taika Waititi does next. Um, And this will definitely make me want to revisit uh, or, or visit for the first time some of his movies like Hunt for the Wilder People and What We Do in the Shadows because I haven't seen them. So, Georgia Rabbit, I gave that movie a 9 out of 10. Next, The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers' long-awaited, very anticipated follow-up to his 2015 film, The Witch, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. To this day, is one of my favorite movies uh, that A24 has done, one of my favorite horror movies. I honestly love that movie and what Eggers is able to do with it. I think he's a master at creating mood 
and creating atmosphere and the lighthouse just further proves that with two amazing performances i might add by robert pattinson and willem dafoe um who are actors that have been on my radar less so willem dafoe weirdly enough i really like to pay attention to robert pattinson because i really really enjoy him as a performer nowadays um Earlier in the years, uh, his movie Claire Denis High Life I thought was really great. And The Lighthouse here I think is no different. I think it's a great movie. I love the depravedness of the characters, but I also love their interactions. I love watching Willem Dafoe kind of be just out there, as as far out there as he possibly could probably uh, with this film. And... Gosh, it's just so well shot by Jaron Blaschke as well. I love the beautiful black and white 35mm cinematography and its nice kind of square aspect ratio. And for all its weirdness, it also feels like very Bergman-y, and, which I love. I'm a, big, I'm a Bergman fan, and Robert Eggers is a Bergman fan, as many of you may know from listening to the A24 podcast. Um, and ultimately, I just think he made a really amazing kind of tale, like kind of New England legendary tale that you may have heard of. And uh, it's not for everybody. This movie's very weird. But if you're willing to stick through it, I think you'll have a really great time doing so. All right, next we have Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale, a movie that I was warned I guess by other critics being like, this is one of the most horrific things they've ever seen in a movie. And it's so crazy and horrendous and nuts. And in watching it, I was honestly a little surprised by some of the stuff that was going on. I don't think I was as affected by some of the traumatic things that happened to the main character. But that's not to say that they weren't important or affecting to how I saw the story. Because I really love this movie. It kind of disguises itself as a good old-fashioned revenge tale, like a rape-revenge thriller, but it's more than that. This is a movie about trauma, it's a movie about PTSD, it's a movie about colonialism, and the trauma faced not only by the, you know, the main character and some of the characters in this movie, but also the trauma that is felt by the indigenous peoples who have suffered under colonial rule, right? And in this case, English rule in, in Australia, when Australia was a prison colony and stuff like that. And honestly, it was just... This movie is just fascinating in all the right ways. It's chilling in all the right ways. It's got beautiful pseudo-black-and-white cinematography that I love. I love the main performance. Um... It's pretty hardcore, uh, admittedly, what goes on in this movie. But that doesn't change the fact that, ultimately, this movie is a, a, a heck of a time. And it shows that Jennifer Kent is probably one of the most skillful filmmakers that we have working today. And if that's the case, I'm totally down to see whatever she does next. Because The Nightingale, in my opinion, was a really big win. And I... uh Man, I don't know. There was just so much about this movie that I just love and fell in love with. I loved wa- watching them kind of this trek, this epic journey across the Tasmanian landscape. And even the ending of the movie, which doesn't really go the way you think it's going to go, is almost a little more satisfying in how it doesn't go, 
because I feel like it conveys a more deep and nuanced message about this than many people may kind of think they want out of it. So, The Nightingale, 9 out of 10, amazing movie. Next, at number 6, we have Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let me tell you, the first time I saw this movie, I was not a fan. I left this movie, I remember I turned to Nesreen and I was like, was that, were you bored? And she was like, yeah, I thought I was the only one. I was not prepared for what this movie was going to bring me uh, when it when I first saw it. I I didn't know what to expect, but I wasn't expecting what I got. However, after watching the movie three more times in the theater since seeing it, then I honestly fell in love with this movie. I think this is Tarantino at his most reflective, at his most meta, at his most quiet. And it's, it's quite amazing, actually, to see what he's able to do. This felt like Quentin Tarantino kind of having his little Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, like post There Will Be Blood Paul Thomas Anderson moment where Paul Thomas Anderson got less bombastic and really, really quiet. That's what this movie feels like. And I honestly just love that about this movie. I love that this movie doesn't feel like it needs some sort of big plot to kind of run it. It just kind of goes, let's just hang out in 1960s Hollywood. Let me show you around. Let me show you what it was all about. Let me show you how glamorous it was. Let me show you how not glamorous it was. Let me make fun of it. Let me talk about the thing I, let me make an essay, essential, a pseudo essay about the thing I love. And then let me correct one of the biggest mistakes to ever happen at the time. And I love that about this movie. I love where Tarantino like goes with this movie. I love the characters. My gosh, Cliff Booth and... Um, uh, oh no, how am I going to forget um, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's name in this movie? He's so good. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that right here? Uh... Hold up, I'm looking it up, guys. I don't know how. I don't know how I. I usually forget uh, uh, Brad Pitt's name. With Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton, let me show you their amazing friendship, which I loved. I love seeing. I love seeing their interactions. I love watching Brad Pitt drive really fast on the road. I love Leonardo DiCaprio's very skillful performance with his stutter and everything like that. I love the soundtrack to this movie. I love seeing Margot Robbie kind of float angelically through this movie as well, providing a little bit of a heart to this movie. I love how funny and savage Cliff Booth is, but he's like the funny guy who's got like, you can feel like there's a violentness kind of brewing in him. And I know a lot of people, the like the last couple minutes of this movie is like controversial. I absolutely loved every single minute of it. That last 20 minutes is just incredible. It's so Tarantino. And it's something I predicted was going to happen back when this movie was announced. I knew, I knew that he was going to go alternate history on us. And I'm so glad he did. I think he did a tremendous job. And... 
You know, this movie gave me some of my biggest laughs, some of the most interesting and I think conversations I think I've ever had about this time period. I love its tribute. I love its satire. And I just love every, I just love how it's written. And I, I, I think part of that is I can tell how much Tarantino loves this. And it's interesting that it took him this long to kind of make a movie about a period of film that he loves so much. And I felt like I could feel that love. And I don't know, it just, this movie just gave me a, a pretty good feeling. Uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another 9 out of 10. Next, we have Greta Gerwig's Little Women. I'm a fan of Greta Gerwig. Um, I loved Lady Bird. I liked her in Frances Ha. And when I heard, I remember when I heard that she was doing Lady Bird, I remember being like, oh shoot, I gotta see this movie. And I remember loving it. And then when Little Women came out, I was like, oh, we have to, I was like, I have to see Little Women. There's no way I'm gonna miss Little Women. Like Greta Gerwig is going to, is making this movie. And I'm down for anything she makes after Lady Bird for sure. And this movie was just, it you just feel good at the end of it, which is something that a lot of movies I feel like are lacking these days. I feel like I haven't felt like this this good uh, after a movie since The Old Man and the Gun. I, I don't know if any of you guys seen that. Great David Lowry film. But yeah, Little Women. I just lo I love the performances. Florence Pugh, um, Saoirse Ronan, who I adore. Even Emma Watson, who I don't care for. Um, and Laura Dern, my goodness, she's just so sweet in this movie. It's honestly just incredible watching her on screen. Uh, I, I love it so much. But yeah, and then just feeling like, you know, a story in New England. And I, and I, you know, I'm from New England, so it was nice to kind of see Massachusetts showing at, the, at, at this time during the Civil War. I love just how kind of, I don't know, I don't know if dreamy is the right word, but this movie feels just like light and joyful. And that's not something that you get a lot. And when it, and not to say that the movie isn't emotional, because when it is emotional, it's 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 hard. It's hard at times when it gets emotional. There's moments in this movie where I was angry. There's moments in this movie where I was really sad. But this movie pulls off all its emotions perfectly, and at the end doesn't leave you with a sour taste in your mouth. But it lets you feel like you just watched a just really charming, great story with great. Uh, characters. Oh, and freaking the 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 some of the scenes between Saoirse Ronan and Tracy Letts were my favorite scenes. I love watching them interact and are kind of negotiating her book deal. It feels like Greta Gerwig really cared with this movie about making it and about making sure it was the best it can be. And honestly, that was that was just amazing to me to kind of witness on screen and see a period piece by her uh because i don't i feel like that's not something i expected greta gerwig to do next but she pulled it off amazingly so yeah little women amazing movie i think i gave it a 10 out of 10 all right we're in the top four next we have joker this movie the one of the most talked about one of the most controversial movies of the entire year and it is my fourth favorite movie of the entire year. When I saw Joker the first time, I honestly couldn't believe that a movie like this was being made today. Especially with all the kind of, with all the, 
politics and how people are talking and the shutting down of discourse and stuff like that that's going on, I figured Hollywood was done taking risks with that type of stuff. And Joker proved to me that maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not done talking about these things. And maybe the people who, maybe, maybe, maybe Hollywood is also ready to kind of sometimes say shut up to those people as well. And I think Todd Phillips, who makes a really great, who made a really great comedy, uh, The Hangover, which I really like. Um, I haven't seen anything else except for I've seen War Dogs, which honestly, when I saw it, I thought this was one of the greatest, one of the best movies of that year. When I saw it, I was really pleasantly uh, that that movie was one of my favorite movies um, of. I believe that was 2016 when that came out. I remember just being absolutely in awe of like the fact that somebody was able to kind of make a movie like that and it wasn't a superhero movie. It wasn't anything like that. Where he just made a movie about something that not a lot of people talk about. And I love that. And Joker kind of echoes that same sentiment, except it gets rid of the humor and it goes for not entirely. There are some funny moments, especially a moment involved involving a midget a midget joke in this movie which is like i like that this movie was had had deep things on its mind to say and it had a very dark contemplative style but it wasn't above the jokes it didn't take itself so seriously not that there's anything wrong with movies taking themselves seriously but this movie to didn't take itself 100 percent seriously and it's still like in, it still was able to enjoy kind of the time, but like in its own depressingness, which was like interesting because that joke only works because something so terrible happens. There's like a little bit of levity in a moment that was so dark that you're just like, "What the heck is going on here?" But that, that there's more dark, crazy moments in this movie that I remember just watching and being like, "I can't believe I'm literally watching this movie is messed up." It's so messed up, but it's so skillfully written. It's so beautifully shot. Oh my goodness, the cinematography in this movie, my goodness. I remember watching it and being like, this movie will probably not get nominated for Best Cinematography. I was wrong, it was, and thank God it was, because this movie had some of the best cinematography of the entire year, and one of the greatest scripts of the entire year. Like, my goodness. It's conversations about politics and mental health, and the class warfare that's kind of pseudo-brewing inside of this nation is just so interesting. And Todd Phillips was able to touch upon that and tell a very interesting story about a man with severe mental health issues acting out in a way that maybe is our own fault, which is crazy. And it proves just how intellectual I think Todd Phillips is. And I love how this movie harkens back to the movies of the 70s when things were gritty and grimy, like Taxi Driver, the king of comedy, right? I love what the Joker did. I love the performances. I love the mood building. I love what it has to say. I love that it has the balls to tell it in such a messed up way. And I just had a great time watching it. Joker amazing movie 9 out of 10 next number 3 1917 this movie I saw twice I saw it in the Dolby Cinema and I saw it in the IMAX and both times were incredible Sam Mendes' World War 1 war film 
following two soldiers on a mission to get a message to a friendly pl- uh, like company or platoon who's about to send a bunch who's about to send a bunch of men on an men on an attack. They don't get there in time. They will all die because they are walking inevitably into a trap set by the Germans. And wow, one shot, two shots, really. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Honestly, I was just absolutely blown away by what was able to be accomplished in this movie. For starters, Roger Deakins, maybe the greatest cinematographer who's ever lived, probably the greatest cinematographer who's ever lived, my goodness, shoots this movie. This is some of the most skillful cinematography I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Some of the most beautiful. There were moments in this movie that were just light on the floor, light coming through a window on the floor, and I was like, my God, that's beautiful. You could frame this right now. It's just awesome. It's awesome what what uh, Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins are able to do together. Especially, I mean, we all knew. We saw Skyfall. We all knew how amazing that was. So why wouldn't he be able to do it again? And they outdid themselves. They outdid themselves from Skyfall in 1917. And it's great. I love how emotional the story is. I love the stakes in the story because it's this movie doesn't, unlike other war movies, right? This movie kind of takes the Dunkirk approach where it kind of just has a goal in mind. It doesn't want to take, it doesn't, the movie knows it doesn't need to take its time to flesh out these characters to tell the story, right? It does flesh out its characters a little bit, but it fleshes them out in a way that because they're just in constant motion forward on their journey and there's a ticking time clock, there's no time to rest, which is a, Something that when I watch war movies, I, I have like a little bit of an issue with is that there's always like the rest sit around the fire type scene where they all talk about who they are or whatever. And this movie has a perfect balance of getting them, getting the plot moving forward and the character development moving forward at the same time. And I love it. And it's just so beautiful. The action is amazing. The sound design, my goodness, is just pulse pounding. I love the emotional climax of the film. When we get there, when we get to that amazing scene that's in the trailer where he's running and all the soldiers are running parallel to him, I mean uh, perpendicular to him, that scene was emotionally moving and was bringing tears to my eyes. I just, I love war movies when they're done well. Uh, War movies are, uh, it's a series that I don't necessarily I get excited for it, but I don't get so excited for them anymore because there hasn't really been any good ones lately. With the exception of a few, but like they used to come out a lot. I feel like we've stopped, we've kind of moving away from having legendary war movies, weirdly enough. And it always takes like one director, like a year to make like a good war movie. And this year was Sam Mendes. And I just found this movie entrancing, beautiful, extremely exciting, and it was extremely engrossing, and I love, you got to see it in IMAX with the full aspect ratio. That was absolutely wonderful. Gosh, 1917 was just an experience, and it's awesome to kind of watch it happen in, in, un, in two unbroken, what are made to look like unbroken takes in order to really suck you in, and I honestly just, I don't know, I just love it. I just love that some a movie can to have such technical proficiency and take something that may be seen as a gimmick and actually really use it to help propel the the story forward and keep the audience engaged. 1917, 10 out of 10. All right, number two on the list is 
The Irishman. Martin Scorsese's return to the gangster film genre, telling the story of Frank Sheeran and his relationship with Jimmy Hoffa and Russell Buffalino. And is three and a half hours long. It's a long movie, but I think it may be one of Scorsese's best. Very skillfully helmed. I love Scorsese's new turn inside of this genre. Moving away from the glamorousness, this movie focuses less on how much fun being a gangster is. It doesn't it doesn't go in the traditional, oh my god, it's so fun. Oh my gosh, this is so terrible. You're watching a movie about regret, about the ever-impending death. How just depressing it kind of is to be inside this life. Having to portray your friends, essentially. Having to put a creed above all else to extremes, essentially. And I love how contemplative this movie is on its, on, on its character's own mortality, right? The whole idea of Frank Sheeran never stops talking about death, talking about the things that inevitably are coming. And I love the idea that when you're watching this movie, you know, you're watching Scorsese direct, but it's just so, but it's, but it's a very different tone than ever before. Shot by Rodrigo Prieto, who, yes, I don't think maybe should have gotten a Best Cinematography nomination, but I do think this was a great movie. Nonetheless, and I do think he shot it well. It's not, a, it's not a not well shot movie. It's a well shot movie, just maybe not Best Cinematography worthy. Anyway, it's just absolutely phenomenal, though. The performances, oh, by Al Pacino and uh, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, who Robert De Niro, I will say, I think phones it in a little bit. Weirdly enough, ironically enough, on a conversation on a phone. Um, but I love what he does. I love what they do with their roles. I love like 99% of what Robert De Niro does in this movie. I love, 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 love Al Pacino. My gosh, in this movie. He makes me laugh so much in this movie. And a lot of his decision making, his character, and you're just like, please, why just do something else, please? They're t- they're trying to help you. Why can't you just listen to them? And gosh, that was just so, so interesting just to see them just kind of like, I don't know, just to see the conflict and to see, and I love how this movie weaves in and out of like the history of the United States and the JFK assassination, one of my favorite site sequences in the whole movie. I loved all of that. I love that. It was creepy. This movie is creepy. <laughs> this movie is dark. This movie is depressing. This movie is thoughtful. Ultimately, one of the best gangster movies I think I've ever seen in my life. And one of Scorsese's best movies. And it shows, even in his 70s, Scorsese is not somebody you throw away and get rid of. Scorsese is a master, and he's here to stay until the end. The Irishman, a 10 out of 10. And now I just want to give some honorable mentions before I get to number one. Midsommar, Ari Aster's really weird, crazy follow-up to Hereditary, a movie which I love so much which I do think has a little bit of a pacing issue, but I did really enjoy what it was doing and how beautiful it was and just the kind of, I don't know, the atmosphere that it was able to build and it's just set design and what it had to say and it's just a, it's a, it's a jacked-up breakup movie, but it's awesome. 
but it's really awesome. Waves by Trey Edward Schultz, a movie that, again, has a pacing issue, but I think that's a first watch issue more than anything. Um, I absolutely enjoyed, especially the first two-thirds of this movie. I thought that was one of the most crazy build-ups and come-downs of a movie I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It's it's split basically into two separate parts, but none of those parts feel inconsequential or uh, lacking in any sort of way. They both are absolutely well done in their own right as they're trying to accomplish very different goals. And I think Trey Edward Schultz makes a good movie about the pressures of everyday life and the dichotomy of siblings and their relationship and how a tragedy can ultimately wreck a family. Um, And I think it's just really smart and emotional. And I think that's something that Trey Edward Schultz is just really good at, at least from the two movies I've seen. Of his waves and Krisha, it seems like he can get to the emotional core of a movie, and it worked just great. Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach's uh, latest film for Netflix starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. I think the only reason it didn't make my top 10 is because even though I thought it was a really amazing movie, I think I even gave it a 10 out of 10. I just wasn't. I don't know. I feel like I didn't feel like I had to watch it again after I had seen it, even though I thought it was really good and a really strong film. I just didn't feel like the need to have to go see it again. But it is what it is. The Farewell by Lulu Wang. Oh, man. Aquafina stole my heart in this movie. And so did Diana Lin, who plays her mother, which I think is a performance that is going widely untalked about because I think she was amazing in that movie. Um, Lulu Wang's film about a uh, Asian family who fakes a wedding, who basically has a wedding to go visit their grandmother in China because she's dying of a terminal illness, and they don't want to tell her. And, you're, and the main character, Billy, played by um, Aquafina, is struggling on whether or not she should break ranks with the family. I thought this movie was beautiful. I thought it was funny. I thought it was emotional. I thought Lulu Wang really hit some notes. And made it relatable, even though this movie is mostly in Chinese, it's about a Chinese family. But it's a very relatable movie, and it's a movie that I think a lot of people will be able to find something in. And I honestly think it's a masterpiece. I thought it was one of the best films of the year, and I was surprised it wasn't nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year. Uh, but you can't win them all. And I want to congratulate, congratulate Lulu Wang for making such a just great emotional piece, and something that I can't. I just can't wait to see what she's going to do next. I heard she's doing some sort of sci-fi movie. Every time I hear about a director going and doing some sci-fi thing after they've done something in a genre that I think they really were good at, uh, I'm always a little nervous about, but I trust her enough to see where it goes. But The Farewell, amazing film. And now, the moment we've all been waiting for, the number one favorite movie of 2019. Uncut Gems by the Safdie Brothers. Wow. Um, starring the Sandman as Howard Ratner, a compulsive jewelry store gambler, who, jewelry store owner, gambler, who just cannot help himself. He just cannot. And you watch as he kind of goes down a ridiculously crazy road, making bets, 
getting into trouble with his with his wife and his and his mistress uh, played by Julia Fox and this movie is pulse pounding it's insane it's anxiety inducing the Safdie brothers are just masters at making you just like your eyes are just open and you're like nervous when you're watching their movies if you guys have ever seen the film Good Time I think that was just a great example of their craft it's available on Amazon Prime you should definitely watch it and this movie proves they can go even further with that and even slow down a bit and still provide a story that's absolutely entertaining to watch it's very Jewish <laughs> which I actually really really appreciated them kind of going into that culture a lot more I loved Adam Sandler's performance my goodness he should have been nominated for best actor not Jonathan Price I'm not a fan of John I'm not a fan of the two popes I just not I'm just not I don't know what it is but I'm just not but yeah I just oh this movie was just so good uh, I loved the score. I loved the cinematography. My gosh, it's just so interesting. And I love all the long lenses that are used. I love, I love how conversations happen in this movie. People are just talking over each other, and it kind of like is nerve shredding. And you're just like, but they're really good at mixing it to the point where like you can like pretty much understand what's going on and what everybody is saying. It may take you a little bit to catch up, but like you're learning, and 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 it's just like it feels more realistic that way. And the score is just weird and out of this world, and is kind of conveying the the weird existential, like cos co cosmic kind of forces that seem to be at work in this movie. In a movie that it feels like you're just watching somebody going down a path that's predestined for them to go down is just fascinating and I just loved every minute of it I had a great time I saw it in theaters twice I think it's a masterpiece I think it's the Safdie's best movie that they've made and ultimately uh, I, I can't wait to see what they do next and I hope Adam Sandler takes more roles like this because honestly um, Honest, honestly, this movie is was a big surprise to me, and I just loved every minute of it. Uncut Gems, 10 out of 10, and that is my top 10 favorite movies of 2019. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, I think I might do a top 10 movies of the decade um, and maybe go over that and talk about all the movies I've seen this decade, the top 10 of them that I really, really enjoy and think are the best ones. And Yeah. Thank you very much, and I will see you guys next time.